0: Anyway, um, you know, preachers like me, uh, they do this weird thing, and I I get it. I probably have done it before, too, but, you know, pastors, they they, want to give you a guarantee, right? And so they'll do this really bad thing of making you Old Testament promises and mixing it with... New Testament theology. And I get it, right? I mean, you've all seen it before. Maybe you grew up in church or whatever else. And some preacher or some pastor, you know, told you, you know, you know, if you, if you just do this, then God will bless you for it. And if you do A, B, and C, God will give you X, Y, and Z. And we've all, you know, heard those sermons or heard those pastors or, you know, it's, it's Saturday night and it's 1201 and, you know, Benny Hinn or Joel Osteen come on the TV, you know what I mean? And this is the kind of thing that we see. And, and I get it. And, he, and he, here's what they're doing, right? What, what, what they would say or what they're doing is, if I fill in the blank, then God will, right? If you do A, B, and C, God will do X, Y, and Z. Now, here's the problem with that. The problem with that is, is that as new covenant followers of Jesus, the covenant that we entered into when we made the decision to follow Jesus, that everything that we believe, the foundation of our faith, it hinges on an event. And here's the thing. In our case, the worst possible thing happened to the best possible person. I mean, so Here's the thing. We've got to wrap our mind around that. This idea of sometimes you, you walk into church or you hear the preacher say, oh, if you just do this, God will bless you. If you just do this, God will be faithful. If you just do this, you'll make more money. You'll do this, you'll have prosperity and you'll have all these things. Yet the worst possible thing happened to the best possible person. And that person is Jesus. Person who did nothing wrong, who did not sin. who The son who was like the father. And yet he was unfairly tried unfairly arrested, unfairly executed. And so here's the the tension, right? The thing we have to wrestle with as Christians. And maybe you've asked yourself this question before. If God didn't spare his own son to get the job done, what can we expect from God? If you just walked in here today, if this is your very first Sunday, we are so glad you're here. Welcome uh, to Anchored Hope Church. We're glad you're here for, for Tay-Tay's boyfriend's special celebration, you know. Uh, and we, we would love it if you'd stop at our welcome center. We have a gift for you on your way out. But, you know, th- we've been in the middle of this series, and this was not the planned series. We were supposed to be in the middle of a series called Winning, Subtitle: How to Win at Life. And, but, you know, we've had a lot happen in our community, and maybe that's, that's you Maybe, maybe you've had a lot happen in your life lately, circumstances or different things that have happened. I, I know my bingo card is, is completely full of, of things that have happened and conversations you and I have. And so we decided to flip the script and have a different conversation. And here's the question we're trying to wrestle with. How do you hold on to God when it appears God is no longer holding on to you? Because we've all been there, right? Where the circumstances have changed. Where things have kind of been turned upside down. And all of a sudden, we're dealing with something painful. We're, doing, we're dealing with something memorable. We're dealing with something costly. And in those moments, it's very easy for us to doubt God or to even doubt God's existence. I mean, sometimes we even use that as an argument to say that God doesn't exist. As How can you say that there's a good God, but so many bad things happening to good people? And in the middle of that, there's a question, you know, that we all we all wrestle with. What do we do when the circumstances of life point to a God who isn't there and doesn't care? And you've been there. You've been in those times where you've looked up and you are like, hello, is anybody paying attention here? Hello, to whom it may concern, I don't know if you see what we're going through down here. And because of preachers, like I just talked about, some of you, you grew up in a context where this this preacher or the person in front of you, they told you that if you would just do X, Y, and Z, you would earn God's favor. You would earn God's blessings. And so in the middle of that stuff, we we start to wonder, we start to ask ourselves, okay, so then what what, what do we need to do? What did we do to get out of favor with God? And, And what can I do to get back in favor with God? As a matter of fact, that maybe that's why you're here. Let's just be honest about it. We've all been there. Maybe something happened to you in life, and circumstances started to change, and you thought to yourself, man, you know what? We've got to get back to church. We've got to get back to church, and we're going. We're going to go back to church. We're going we're gonna to start praying every day. We're going to do these things. I'm going to read my Bible. Where did I put that thing? Uh, and then, you know, you're like, man, I'm going to start doing all these things. I'm going to tithe. I'm going to serve. I'm going to sacrifice for God. And then I'm going to get back in God's blessings. I'm going to earn it back. I know exactly what I need to do. Just, just got to rub that genie the right way, right? And this is another thing, right? This also leads to another question we've had. And this is not so much how to get back to God, but we've, we've asked this about God. Why, why is God blessing everybody else? You ever been there? Like, why is God Blessing everybody else, all the single people in the room. You've been in those seasons, we've been in those seasons before. Maybe you're single now, maybe you were single in the past. And you thought, why is God hooking up everybody but me, you know? Like, why is, why is God matchmaking everybody else but me? Maybe, maybe you've started a fam- you've gotten married, and you really want to start a family. And you never have those seasons of life where it feels like everybody's getting pregnant but you, right? And you're like, God, God hello, why is everybody getting pregnant but us? Like, you know how badly we want this. You know how bad we've prayed for this. Why is God blessing everybody else with a family but me? Or maybe even in your career or a job. And, you you know, you've seen other people, maybe they just take off in their career. They find purpose in their job. They're, they start something, and they're, they're doing so well, and they're wealthy, and they're healthy. And you're like, um, God, like, could you show me, like, What's your plan for me? What's the great career move that you have for me? What am I What am I supposed to do with my job? Like, why is everybody's life so fulfilled but mine? And then, let's be honest, okay? Now, this is just between you and me, okay? But you know, too, you've, you've had some a personal conversation with God, too, because in, in the back of that conversation, we won't tell anybody you've done this, okay? But in, in the back, you've also said, God, like, I deserve it more than anybody else. Like, I you're, God, you're allowing everybody else to get pregnant, but you're allowing some people who are bad parents to get pregnant. Like if you, But if you would let me, God, I would be such a good mother. I would be such a good father. God, you know, everybody else is just matchmaking and stuff, and I see how they treat each other. I tell you what, God, I would be the perfect husband. I would be the perfect wife. I would never take anybody for granted. If you would just bless me, stop blessing them, and would you start blessing me, you know? Or I'll even, I'll, 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 I'll admit something to all of you that, that I've done recently. You know, I've, I told you that one of my things that I'm in the midst of, one of my good friends in ministry, he's a pastor, his name's Kyle. Um, he had a stroke and he, he lost the ability to speak. And many of you, I know I've talked about this for a couple of weeks. You've asked me how he is. Kyle's doing much, much better. He's beginning to, to be able to speak and he's recovering and stuff. He got to go to his church last week and, and sit in his crowd and be with his church family. So yeah, he got about that, right? That's awesome. So, that, but, but I'll admit something to you, you know, when that happened to Kyle and stuff, I, you know, I, I sat at my kitchen table and I said, you know, hey God, you know, I know you didn't cause this, you didn't do this, but like you could have, you, you could have like, you know, shields up and like deflected this and maybe like deflected it to like another preacher, you know, because God, I know some bad preachers who should lose their ability to speak, you know, and maybe you could have just like, Bing! You know, like like Jedi laser the other way, you know. I, so, but, and of course, I asked God for forgiveness for that sinful thought, you know, and moved on. Uh, but, you know, I, I've had those thoughts. You've had those thoughts. You know, the prophet Jeremiah, he said something that we could relate to, connect, we can connect to, which is why, you know, it's still important to have the Old Testament as part of our Bible because there's little things like this that point us to Jesus that, man, when we read it, we, we feel just like Jeremiah did. Jeremiah he, he he writes this. He said, "You are always righteous, Lord." He does such a good job. He he looks at God and goes, "God, you are always righteous." But then he says, "When I bring a case before you, but but yet I would I would speak with you about your justice." That's a that's a nice biblical way of saying, "God, you are so great, but I have a bone to pick with you." Okay, he says, "Yet I would speak with you about your justice." Why does the way of the wicked? Prosper. And then he says this. He, he says, Why do all the faithless live at ease? You have planted them and they have taken root. They grow and they bear fruit and you are always on their lips, meaning they always talk a good game. They look right, they look the part, and they talk such a good game. But then he, he says this. He says, But they are far from your heart. They, You are so far from their heart, Lord, yet you know me, Lord. And you see me and you test my thoughts about you. Let me translate that for you. God, you're a good God. I believe that. But I'll be honest with you. It seems like all the bad people are getting more blessed than me. And they grow and they bear fruit and they are all doing so, so well. Yet they're posers and they're fake. And you are so far from their hearts. And and God, you, you see me. And you know me, and you know what I've done for you. And I'll be really honest with you, God. You are testing my thoughts about you. Ever been there? You ever felt that? I think we all have at one time or another. If you haven't, you will be one day. And in those moments, we stop and we're like, come on, God, like, where are you? Like, Why am I not being blessed like everybody else? Why are you blessing people more than me? People who deserve it less than me. I feel like I've I've earned this. I mean, what do I have to do to get some blessings from you? And you know why we think like that? We think like that because of preachers like... Me preachers in your life who have stood up in front of you and told you that if you do a B and C, you will get X, Y, and Z. And the reason the, the, here's what the problem what's happening there is they're mixing the old Testament promises of God with the new Testament theology through Jesus. And we've talked about this, right? If, you, if you're new here, we just did a series on called uh, Compass that was about the Bible and where the Bible came from. And, and when you open up your Bible, there's the Old Testament and then there's the New Testament. And we talked about that word testament really shouldn't be there. It should be... Old covenant and new covenant. And that word covenant means agreement. See, old there was an old covenant. God came to Abraham and He made an agreement and a promise to him. And he said, If if you will do X, Y, and Z, I will I will give you all of these things. I will make you into a great nation, a great nation that will bless people, and you'll be a great kingdom, and all of these great things will happen to you. But you have to do certain things. And so he gave him six hundred and thirteen laws, gave them to Moses, wrote them on tablets, and they had had to keep these commands. And here's the thing. The old covenant, the old agreement, it was 100% based on, if we blank, God will. If we do this, God will do that. And it's so important. Do not miss this because this may never, never have been explained to you before. That word we is very, very important because here's the thing. It was an agreement between God and a nation. It was not an individual agreement. So if a person sinned, they did not themselves get out of favor with God. It wasn't like that. It was about what was happening at a national level. It was about what was happening at a cultural level. So what these people would do is they would base everything off of their circumstances. Their circumstances, and this was what they were supposed to do. Their circumstances determined if they were in favor with God and if God was being faithful to them. So if things were going well, if their crops were growing and the economy was good and everybody had jobs and there were no pandemics or anything like that, they would say, wow, well, the capital and our leaders must be doing a fine, fine job. Because clearly everything is operating as it should because, look, God is blessing us. Look at our circumstances. However, if things started to go poorly, if there was a famine, a pandemic, if all of a sudden people started murdering each other and things started to get out of hand, they would go, "Oh my goodness, what is going on at the Capitol? What is King David doing? Did he take on another wife? You know, what is King Solomon doing? You know, good grief, we we need an election." Dude, we've got to fix this. you know. We've got to get the right people in the Supreme Court and in the justice system and all this stuff. Because we've got to fix this. Because look, God, God is clearly angry at us. Look at us. He's throwing curses down and he's letting all this bad stuff happen to our, our economy and our military and, and, and all these different circumstances. But we, We've got to fix this. And that's what they did. That's what they were supposed to do. That's what the old covenant is. But... But you and I are not under the old covenant. You and I are under the new covenant. Jesus established a new covenant, a new agreement that came with a new set of promises for us. Luke talked about this. Luke interviewed the people who were there. And Jesus himself, this is what he says. This is out of the word, out of the mouth of Jesus. In the same way, after the supper, this is at Passover, right before Jesus was taken and put on the cross. Jesus took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. New covenant, meaning it's replacing the old. That's how we get the word old. If you this, this week went and got a new cell phone, what would you do with the old one? Would you say, well, I got to keep this one too, you know, just in case, you know, because I, I think I need both. No, what do you do? You chuck the old one, right? You give it to your kid. You turn it in for some credit because you got the new one. You got the new one. You don't need the old one. And that's what Jesus came to do, to establish a new covenant with us, a new agreement with us that made the first one obsolete. Trust me, the old covenant, it was ahead of its time. It was a means to an end, and it was great. I mean, women were treated better. Children were treated better. Immigrants were treated better. I mean, there was no form of justice even like this out there. I mean, it was ahead of its time time however it was a means to an end and that end was Jesus and when he made that new covenant when he made that new agreement that new contract with us something happened something happened that would stop us from looking at our circumstances to determine if God was for us and God was with us and there was an event that changed everything So that you would always know that God is for you, God is with you, and God loves you. See, here's the thing. As New Covenant believers, you and I, we don't look to our circumstances to determine if God is for us or with us. Do you know what we look at? We look to a single event that took place on a cross. We look at a single event that occurred outside the walls of Jerusalem on a hill, on a cross, where the sun... From the father, the son who is like the father, allowed himself to be taken unfairly, unjustly, and brutally murdered in front of a public audience. And the reason that that happened was to establish a new covenant. And the reason that that happened, the reason it had to happen was so that there would be one final sacrifice. Because remember, everything in the old was based on a sacrificial system. Everything was based on a sacrificial system, and it was all about what you throw up to God. you got to throw God up the right things, and He'll throw down the the right things to you. It was a vertical relationship. And there was a temple that kept God away from everybody. And there was a curtain where only the holiest of holies could ever go. And you had to go through a priest to be absolved of your sin. You had to go through a priest to talk to God and all of that changed Jesus for you and I allowed his blood to be shed so that you would not have to shed any blood ever again so that the veil in that temple could be torn so that temple could be destroyed so it wasn't about going to a special place with a special person in order to be with God God loved you so much that he made a way for you to be with God no matter where you were so you didn't have to go to the temple and you didn't have to go to the special priest and do all of the special things in order to be forgiven or order to talk and commune with God. He made a bridge so that you would know that he loves you and he doesn't think, think of you as just a member of his kingdom. He looks at you as a child, as part of his family, and he wants to live in your heart and be with you and commune with you and talk with you wherever you are. He did that for you. And we don't have to look at our circumstances. We can look at the cross and know we are loved. Amen? Anybody? Just, okay. That would be the time, in case you didn't know. That would be a good time to insert that. It's what we call the good news. Anyway, we'll move on. We'll get there, all right? But here's the thing. It's very easy for you and I to still act like old covenant believers. It's very easy for you and I to try to mix the old with the new. And plenty of preachers do it. And I get it, right? Because we want to end this on a happy note. We want to end this on a high note. We want you to know that if you do this, there's some guarantees. But here's the problem. And you see this all the time fleshed out in our media and in our world, and you don't like it one bit. If we still try to mix the old with the new, if we still try to operate like old covenant believers, do you know what happens? We do exactly what Israel was supposed to do. We'll we'll look at our circumstances. And when our circumstances start to go wrong, we'll look at our capital. And we'll go, what's going on up there? And then we'll blame our leaders and our culture. And we'll go... Well, man, things are going wrong. Things are messed up. Look at the world that we live in. This is like end times. Look at our culture. Look at our woke culture. Every, every generation's had a word for whatever's wrong with their culture or whatever. And we look at our culture and we look at our leaders and we go, man, we need an election. We got to get this guy out of the White House. We got to replace some Supreme Court justices. We need some better senators, some better people in charge. We got to change things around. God is, God is angry at us. Look, look at all these things that are happening to us. And we'll try to figure out how to get back in good graces with God, how to, how to earn God's favor back. And we'll think that if the election goes our way, if we could just get the right person in place, if we could just replace some laws, if we could just get everybody to think like we think and believe what we believe, God will bless us as a nation. That's what Israel was supposed to do. But I got news for you. It's not what you're supposed to do. Because here's the thing. The old covenant promises are not your promises. That's not the way the world works anymore. That's not the way God works anymore. And I'm going to say this, and some of you are going to be greatly, greatly offended by this. And I'm not meaning to offend you. And I'm not, this isn't my opinion. This is just the facts. But I need you to hear this, because this is maybe one of the most important things you could hear as we're coming up on another election year. God does not have a covenant with the nation of the United States. God had a covenant with Israel. And he hasn't had a covenant with another nation since. Okay, I poked the bear. The old covenant promises are not your promises. But here's the good news. Your promises are better Your promises are far, far better. And on the surface, it's hard to see. What do you mean our promises are better? What even are our promises? Because it, it, sometimes we think, man, I kind of like the, the transactional vertical thing that the old covenant had. I mean, you behaved and you did the right things, and you got blessings sent down from you, you know. You, you, you misbehaved, you got spanked, and you got put in the corner for a little bit, and then you got a second chance. Man, I kind of like that. But what, what, what about ours is better? Well, here's the thing. As new covenant followers of Jesus, there was something promised to us that they didn't ever have promised to them. And you know what that is? Eternal life. An eternal fellowship. Jesus talked about it so often, so many times. See, here's what you don't understand. And some of you, you, you this might even, you go, what? What are you talking about? You can go look, go look through the Old Testament, tell me what you think. But I'm telling you, you won't find it there. You will not find anywhere in the Old Testament where anybody is ever promised eternal life and eternal fellowship with God. There is no mention of heaven in the Old Testament. As a matter of fact, most ancient Jews did not believe in an afterlife. Because you know why? Because their text never mentioned it. There were some ideas about it. You can look through Job. You can look through the Psalms. Some of them wondered about it. Some of them were curious about it. They started to maybe get some shades of it put together. But they didn't have any clue. But eternal life is what is promised to you and I. Actually, the author of Hebrews, we have no clue who wrote this letter, but it was written to the Jewish followers of Jesus. And it was so good. It was circulated so much that when they put the Bible together, they, got this, they said, this, this is important. This explains so much. We need to, This needs to be canon. This needs to be part of our Bible. But this is what it says. It talks about this. For this reason, Christ is the mediator of a new covenant that those who are called may receive the promised... Eternal inheritance. Through Jesus, a new agreement was made. And you know what's promised to you and I? Eternal life. Eternal fellowship with God. And then it says this. Now that he has died as a ransom to set them free from the sins committed under the first covenant. Because under the first covenant, nobody could live up to it. Nobody could do it perfectly. It was a system that was flawed. But it was a means to an end. It was perfect for what it was supposed to be. But it didn't, it didn't have anything to do with salvation, and it didn't earn anybody anything, and it never got anybody to where they actually needed to be. And the author of Hebrews says, but Jesus has established a new covenant with us, and what is promised to you and I that is better that they never had was eternal life and eternal fellowship, a promise of what happens after this life. But the Jews, they didn't have that. As a matter of fact, you'll remember this. And Luke, somebody comes up to Jesus and they ask Jesus this question. They say, hey, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? You know why he asked this question? Because he didn't know the answer. Because nobody knew the answer. The Sadducees, if you go to the Sadducees, some teachers of the law, they, they said that there were no angels, there were no demons. What you see is what you get, and after this life, it's over. So the Sadducees say there's nothing. The Pharisees, they had some idea They had some theories. They would actually even debate about it outside the the walls of the temple and inside the the, the courtyard. They would debate about what happens to the righteous. And they could pick up some shades of it every now and then and and, and have some understanding. But they had no clue what happened to the unrighteous. And so they debated about it. And so this man comes to Jesus and goes, Will you please tell us what happens after this life? How can I receive eternal life? That's what's promised to you. That's what's promised to I. So here's the thing. If you can't find it there in the New Testament, be careful of looking for it elsewhere. Because if you go into the Old Testament, if you go into Hobby Lobby and you start looking at scriptures and promises and you start grabbing them, go, I'm going to take some of that. I'm going to believe that God is up there with a master plan and He's, he's hooking single people up and he's, he's putting things together and people are investing in the kingdom and God's up there just turning it into other money and all these things and you know God's divvying out promises and blessings for everybody's sacrifices. If that's what you do, do you know what you'll do? You run the risk of being disappointed by God's unwillingness to keep a promise that He never made To you. He made it to Israel. He made it to the Jews. He made it to the descendants of Abraham, but guess what? That's not you. And if you do that, if you grab hold of promises, and if you think if I do this, God will do that. You know what'll happen? You'll do what Israel was supposed to do. You'll you'll end up judging God's presence by your circumstances. You'll, ju- you'll judge God's faithfulness by your circumstances. In every election, you'll get so bent out of shape because you'll think, we've got we to do this. We've got to earn God's favor. God's angry with us. That's why the pandemic happened. That's why these things happen. And we've we got to earn God's favor back quick. Yeah, but the guy who says he's a Christian has also done some other things. It doesn't matter. He promises to do these things. And that's what matters was. we as a nation, we need this. That's that's not how it works. That's over. That's done with. God has established a new covenant with us through His Son, Jesus Christ. And now you, you have something better. So then you go, then what am I supposed to do? When I'm going through a season where my circumstances are turned upside down, then what am I supposed to do with that? Well, the author of Hebrews addresses that. And so I want to go back. I want to talk about that because this is what the author of Hebrews says. He, he talks about all the people between Abraham and Jesus who, who did what they were supposed to do and, and, and were faithful and they were rewarded for it. they they got everything that was promised to them. And, and there's so many people. He, he says, I don't even have time to list them all. This is what he says. He, he says, and what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell you about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, uh, about David and Samuel and and the prophets who through faith, they conquered kingdoms. They they administered justice and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames. and, And they escaped the edge of the sword whose weakness was turned to strength and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. And you're thinking to yourself, yeah, that's what I want, right? That's what I want. I want some David and Goliath stuff. That's what I want, right? Like I want some promises like I, if I'm up against the giant, I can take a sling and I can cut the giant's head off, you know? I want promises like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Like if I go into the fire, I ain't going to get burned. If I get thrown in the lion's den, I'm not. Nothing bad's going to happen to me. That's what I want. All I got to do is have faith. I mean, that sounds so good, doesn't it? And you've heard so many preachers say it. And you leave there thinking, yeah, 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 yeah. But you know, and I know, some bad stuff has still happened to you. Right? Bad things have still happened to good people. And the author of Hebrews, he takes a sharp, sharp turn. And that's exactly what he says. He he says... But there were others who were tortured, refusing to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection. And some faced jeers and floggings and even chains and imprisonment. And it says, and they were put to death by stoning. Some were sawed in half. They were killed by the sword they went about in sheepskins and goatskins destitute persecuted mistreated and i can just imagine for a moment the author of hebrews putting his pen down for a minute maybe even a tear in his eye because he knew some of these people and he saw some of these things happen and he's being honest with his with his people which, which, again, I, 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 you can debate whether the Bible is true and you might have some things. But, I, you know, I'm telling you, if I were wanting to make something up to get people to be a part of my religion, I would stay with the Old Testament and tell them, just do the right things and nothing bad will ever happen to you. But this, this author is saying, no, let's, let's, let's be honest. There have been plenty of people who would have, have had faith and who have done the right thing. And bad things have happened to them. And you know that. And I know that. For a minute the author of Hebrews puts the pen down. And he says something so honest and so real. He says, The world was not worthy of them. They were such good people. They were so faithful. And they wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and in holes in the ground. And then he says this. These were all commended for their faith. Yet none of them received what had been promised. Since God had planned something and here it comes. He says, here's the truth. Good things happen to bad people. Your circumstances, your circumstances do not determine whether God is for you or God is with you. There have been plenty of people who have been faithful because they have believed that God was up to something bigger than them. And that God was not distant with them. God was for them. God loved them. They looked to the cross to know that. But even though they didn't receive what was promised to them, they understood something. That God was planning something. God was up to something. And do you know what he says next? God had planned something better for us, something better for you, and something better for me. Eternity, eternal fellowship—something that was different than a transactional relationship. And then he says this: therefore, because of he says because of everything I've said, with everything I've said in your mind, he says therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud. witnesses. He said, with all of these people, we we know their stories. We we know their burdens. We know how their story ended, but, but they are watching us. They see us. They're here with us. With all of them in mind, this is what he says next. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles us. He says, when When you're going through something hard and those thoughts start to creep in. Those thoughts start to creep in that you're not good enough, that you're a failure, that you've messed up, that God hates you, that God is angry at you, that God is punishing you. He says, untangle your mind from those thoughts. Throw that off. When you're going through something hard and you start shoving people away and you start wanting to use people you love as a punching bag and you start taking it out on your kids, you start taking it out on your spouse, you start taking it out on your customers and you start to just kind of turn sour and you allow that poison to get into your system and affect your attitude and your mood, he goes, no, 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 untangle yourself from that. When it makes you start to doubt that God loves you and God is with you, he goes, no, 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 you got to throw all that off. Throw it all off because it's not going to make your life better. You know what it's only going to do? It's only going to make your life more complicated. So he says, don't do that. And then he creates this, this picture for us. He says, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. I I know you can't tell this by looking at me, but I used to be a runner. Nobody laugh. I heard it. Okay, I used to be a runner, and I, I used to actually do cross country when I was when I was in high school. I was a cross country runner. But here's the thing: I was this height, but I was like 115 pounds. Okay, this is a little bitty thing. You could blow the wind, and I would go. Okay, but I I loved cross country. I couldn't do track. I couldn't be the gerbil. Running a circle over and over again, I hated that. But I loved cross country because, I mean, sometimes it was rainy, sometimes it was warm, you know, warm. Sometimes it was cold, you know. Sometimes it was flat. Sometimes it was downhill. Sometimes it was uphill. It was just always different. So I loved cross country. I, I, I loved it. And you know, the thing is about running cross countries it is just it always changed. And such is life, right? And some of you right now, we're all running a race. But some of you right now, you're in a certain part of the race. You know, for some of you, you're in the downhill. You know, you ever run downhill? You know, running downhill, you go faster. I mean, sometimes you go so fast, you have to, you have to slow yourself down, Right? You're like, man, I'm going almost too fast. i gotta, I got to slow down here just a little bit. And it's kind of even fun, right? I mean, sometimes you put your hand up and you go, Wee, you know, and it's great. It's great running downhill. And some of you, that's exactly where you are on your race. Man, life is good. Your kids are good. Your marriage is good. You're killing it at your career. You're... you're being great, you're eating right, you're sleeping right, you're sleeping like a baby at night, your pecs are popping, your muscle, muscles are showing, you just got a great new tattoo of a, of a dragon on your back. I mean, you just got all kinds of great things going for you. You're killing it. You're Mr. Popular. You're Mr. Right. You're Mrs. Right. Everything's going good. And you are just going through life going, whee! You know? Here's the temptation for you. Here's why you have to run your race with perseverance is because of this. If you're not careful... You won't sense or see a need for God. And you'll go, man, I'm killing it so much right now. I don't need God. What do I need God for? Look at how great I'm doing. I'm killing it. I'm doing great. I'm an awesome wife. I'm an awesome awesome husband. I'm killing it at my job. I'm killing it in the gym. I'm killing it in life. I'm killing it financially. But here's the thing. You do that. You get prideful. You're going to come into a season eventually. You're going to turn a corner. And things could change in a minute. And I know sometimes it's easy to think, I don't need God right now. You know, We've all been in a small group before or in a thing and somebody said, anybody need, have any prayer requests? And you've gone, not me. I got nothing to talk to God about. I got nothing I need. Even though that's not what it's about, but we've all been there before. Here's the thing. You've got to run your race with perseverance. You've got to hold on to God. Because if you're not careful, you'll distance yourself from God. But others of us, Others of us, we're in another part of the race. We're running uphill in the rain. Some of you right now, you're up against a big, big hill. Some of you are in the part of your race where you're single. And you're in your 20s. And you're going, man, am I ever going to have anybody? seems like everybody else is moving on with their life. They're getting, they're going to college, they're getting degrees, they're figuring out what they want to do with their life, they're getting married, they're having kids, and here I am, I'm, I'm still trying to figure out what I want to do. I've changed my degrees about three different times, I've changed my, my destination about four different times, and I'm getting pressure from my parents, and I'm getting pressure from everybody else, and everybody's looking at me wondering what I'm going to do with my life, and am I going to ever settle down, and I'm just still trying to figure things out, and I, I feel like such a failure, and I feel like I've messed up, I feel like I'm letting somebody down, and I don't know who, and I'm mad at myself. And that's that's where you are Some of you You're in the part of your race Where you're going through a divorce And somebody's looked you in the eye After decades of being happily married And they just sat you down one day And they said you know what I don't like you anymore And I don't want to be with you anymore And you have no clue what you did You have no clue where it went wrong And you have no clue if you'll ever trust anybody Ever, ever again Some of you are in the season of your race Where you found out You're going to deal with infertility, and you're not going to be able to have kids, or it's going to be hard for you to have kids, and you're you're wondering what this is going to cost, and what you're going to do, and what your options are. Some of you, you're going through the health scare part of your race, and you've gone to the doctors, and they talk with such confidence, but you've gone to those things, and then you've gotten in the car, and you've thought to yourself, they have no clue what they're doing. They have no clue what this is, and there's no hope for me right now. Some of you have gotten the diagnosis, and they do know what it is, but they told you it's going to be a very, very long road until this is ever better. And this is your new normal. This is your new life. And it's going to change everything that you've been doing and everything that you need to do. Some of you are going through a season of life of loss, job loss, family loss, friends loss. And in the middle of that, in the middle of that, you know what? You know what? God promises you, the, the author of Hebrews, he says, you know what you need to do? and the, You need to run this race with perseverance. And, and this is what he says. He says, let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. I remember my freshman year, there was one race in particular in Forest Park, there was a hill that they had nicknamed the Man Maker. Everybody knew the legend of this hill. It was about 50 yards long, and it was the biggest hill I've ever seen. All grass, it would get wet, it would get messed up, and they nicknamed it the Man Maker because it just punished you, and you had to go up it twice. And there was a senior, I was a freshman, I was a senior, we were taking the bus, and they were telling us the legend of this hill. And this one senior, Chris, he took me aside, and he said, look, I'm going to run with you. And when we get to that hill, I don't want you to look up the hill. If you look up the hill, you're going to think to yourself, I am never going to get up to the top of this thing. Instead, I'm going to run just in front of you. And he said the whole time, I just want you to keep your eyes on me. I'm going to be in front of you, I'm going to look back at you, and I'm going to be talking to you, and you don't need to say a thing. But I want you to know I'm with you, and I'm going to get you up this hill, Michael. But you just don't look up the hill. Don't think about it. It's going to hurt. It's going to be hard. As soon as you touch that hill, everything's going to change, and you're going to think, I can't do this. And you're going to think, how much longer do I have to go? How much longer is this going to last? He said, but I want you to keep your eyes on me the entire time. Look, here's what I want you to know. Some of you are up against a hill right now. I know. I've sat with you. I've talked to you. In the last seven days, I've dealt with a teen suicide. I've dealt with a teenager from one of our families who's involved in a double homicide. I've looked at pictures of a 15-year-old who was shot in the head this week. I've dealt with babies being prematurely born. I've I've dealt with people who have been divorced after 30-plus years of marriage. I've dealt with it all. My bingo card is full this week. And this is stuff you're up against. This is stuff you're dealing with. And you've got a huge hill in front of you you 've got stuff that you 're just looking at and you 're going i don 't know if I can make it through this you 're thinking to yourself i 'm just going to take it day by day, step by step, but every single day your legs are just getting more and more tired and you 're like, how much longer do we have to go i don 't know how much longer I can take this i don 't know how much longer before I either have to walk or I need to turn myself around and go the other way because i don 't know if I can do this and here 's the thing if you 're going through that if you 're facing just a huge hill, a mountain of stuff, I would tell you what the author of Hebrews said about other people. Here's what I want you to know. The world is not worthy of you. If you're single right now, if you're going through something and you're thinking, oh man, I just feel like I'm not good enough. I feel like I'm letting people down. I figure like, stop that. I want you to know something. The world is not worthy of you. God sees your value God loves you, and I know that because of what He did for you on that cross. If if right now in your season of life, you're going through the prodigal son place of your race, where you, man, you thought, man, I've done everything I can for this kid. I have tried to raise them right. I have tried to do this right. And they are still making dumb decisions. And I don't know what I'm supposed to do. And I feel bad as a parent. I feel like I'm messing this up. Here's what I want you to hear. The world is not worthy of you. You are a good parent. You did the best you could with what you were given. This is not your fault. God loves you. God sees your value. Hey, you know what? We we got a lot of people in the room who you're here today, you're coming to church, you have faith, you're following Jesus, and you're married to somebody who has no interest in coming to church, who has no interest in faith, who has no interest in following Jesus right now, and you're thinking to yourself, what in the world? What do I need to do? What do I need to say? The world is not worthy of you. There's nothing you need to do. There's nothing you need to say. God loves you, and you're not doing anything wrong if you're going through infertility, if you're going through loss, whatever hill, whatever the hill is, the world is not worthy of you. God loves you. I know so. And let me tell you how I know. Not because of your circumstances. Your circumstances are not something mysterious is happening spiritually in the background or God is doing something or God is punishing you or anything like that. Your circumstances, your circumstances do not determine whether God loves you it doesn't change what's happening. Instead, instead of wondering, what what, what do I need to do differently? What do I need to do differently? What do I need to say differently? How can I change this? How can I help this? Take your mind off of all of that. And instead, fix your eyes, not on what has happened to you or what is happening to you, but instead, fix your eyes on what has happened for you. God loves you, God is for you, God is with you. And do you know what is promised to you? Do you know what you can bank on? Do you know what you can count on? The author of Hebrews, this is what he gives you. This is this is, this is God speaking directly to you, for you, through what you're going through right now. As you are looking up that hill and, and Jesus is in front of you going, let's go. You and me, we're gonna make it up this hill. Just keep your eyes on me. This is This is his promise to you. This is what he wants you to hear this morning. That is better than anything anybody ever received in the Old Testament or under the Old Covenant. Are you ready for this? He says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Do you know what the joy was that was set before him? The motivation of Jesus? The reason he endured the cross? It was you. He had you in mind, and he had you in mind, and he had you in mind, and he had me in mind. We were the joy set before him, and it was the reason he allowed himself to be intaken. It was the reason he allowed himself to endure what he endured. And he took that on. And then I love this part. This is so, this is so amazing. Scorning and shame. You know what that means? That means that as Jesus was on the cross with his arms stretched wide, with nails in his wrist, he scorned it, he took it on, and he looked at it and he said, is that all you got? Is that all you got? Because let me tell you something, I can do this all day. Go ahead, bring it on, do your worst, because you have no clue what is waiting for me on the other side of this. You can do your very, very worst, but I know what's waiting for me on the other side of this. Eternal life and resurrection is what is happening to me on the other side of this. And I know I have this joy in my mind because I know how this is going to impact generations and generations for thousands of years. I am doing something. I am up to something where they will always know that I am with them and that I, am for, they, I am for them. So you go ahead. You bring it on. I can do this all day. He did that for you. He endured that for you. Scorning the cross sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. He now sits at the right hand of God, the Son who is from the Father, the Son who is like the Father. He now sits next to the Father. And do you know what He does? He is, a, he is a mediator for you and for me. He represents us in everything you have felt, everything you have endured, everything you have wanted to say. He has been through it. He has experienced it. And now He sits there on your behalf. And He's sitting next, sitting next to the Father. And he says, consider him, go back to that real quick. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you, you will not grow weary and lose heart. And then he says this: So let us let us approach God's throne of grace with confidence. Let us not doubt that God is for us, that God is with us, that God loves us. He says we can come to the throne with confidence because sitting next to the Father is the Son. And the Son knows. The Son ran the race with us. The Son was with us up the hill the entire way then this is the best part this is what is promised to you this is what he says so that we may receive and here it is here's exactly what you may need today this is exactly what you may be looking for or this may be exactly what you need where that day in your race comes when you come up to that hill here's what you can bank on and it is better so that you may receive mercy mercy God weeps with us in grace and in this context this means strength to endure so that you may receive Mercy and know that God weeps with you. God is with you the same way that he was with Mary and Martha when Lazarus had died. He weeps with you and he sees your pain and he is there with you through it. But with him, he also promises grace, strength to endure. He is going to get you up this hill and this is not going to finish you. He's there with you to help us in our Time of need. This. This is what God promises in this life. And what he promises you after this life is even better. Strength. So that when you're going up this hill that you think, I can't do this. I can't. I can't. He says, yes, you can in the same way I endure the cross, and the same way I scorn the cross, I want you to look at this and go, go ahead, I can do this all day. I will take my hits. I will take whatever beating comes my way. And you know what? I'll keep getting up round after round after round. I'll keep getting up, not because of what I can do, not because I'm doing this on my own strength, but because I'm fixing my eyes on the one who already has. That's what God wants to do for you. Because he loves you. Because he's with you. So here's what I want to do this morning. We we don't have a great cloud of witnesses, but we do have a great crowd of witnesses. And all throughout this room, there are people who have endured stuff in their life. You, you saw last week, if you were here, that story of... Uh, what the tallies and the wares went through when they found out their eight-year-old daughter had cancer. You've, you've heard stories that I've told you today of, of stuff that's happened in, in the past. And you know what? Some of those stories, that they ended happily ever after. But you know what? We also got stories in this room of parents who had to bury children. We got stories in this room of people who got divorced and never got remarried again. We got people in this room who... They didn't receive what they deserved. They didn't receive what was promised to them. But you know what? They maintained their faith. They fixed their eyes on Jesus. And if they were in front of you today, they'd tell you, I'm at peace. I found a way to be happy. I found a way to sleep again. I found a way to to, to be okay. To endure it. I've taken, I've taken it on, and let me tell you something. I've made it up that hill, and if they were standing in front of you, and you said, but how did you do it? How did you get through it? How did you get through another day, another week, another month, another year? They would tell you, it's because I fixed my eyes on Jesus, and He just took me every step of the way. And it hurt, and it sucked, but I got up that hill. If that's you this morning, if that's what you've experienced... For all the other people in the room who are going through it right now, I want you to just stand for me real quick. Stand. If that's you. If you've been through it and God has gotten you through it. I want you to look around the room. Because all through the room, sometimes you walk into church and you think I'm alone. Nobody's. Nobody's been through this but me. My my situation, my story is unique. Let me tell you something. Every single one of these people and some of these stories, I know them. They've been there and they felt it and God got them up that hill. Now, for those of you in the room who are going through it right now, you have a mountain in front of you and you're going, I don't know if I can do it. And I need God's help. I need God's mercy and I need God's grace. If that's you right now, I want you to stand this morning. Go ahead and stand. Now I want everybody to stand. Here's what I want you to know this morning. Your circumstances do not determine whether God loves you or God is with you. Some of us have been taught wrong. Some of us have been told wrong. And I get it and we can't undo that that's in the past but here's the thing now you know god loves you god is for you you don't have to look to your circumstances you can look to the cross and you can know that he loves you and what is he what he promises you is this mercy and strength. You can do this. Not because of what you can do. Not because of your own strength. Not because you're tough enough. But because He is with you. And if you fix your eyes on Him, you will be able to stand up like all of those other people who just did. And you'll survive. And you'll make it another round. And you'll find what you are looking for. Let me pray for you this morning. Father God, Father God, God I know all throughout this room there there are stories there are mountains there are hills and they're big Some of us we haven't faced them faced them yet but one day we will That's life such is life we all go through it But God this this morning we turn to you God I know I needed this message this week I know that When you pointed me in this direction and I read this, I thought, that's what I need, God. I I need your mercy and I need your strength. I need to know that you're weeping with me, that you're sad with me. It's okay to be sad, but then I need your strength, God. I need you to know we're going to get up this hill together. And that's what I'm doing, step by step. And I know you're with me and you're ahead of me and you're just going, come on, just a little bit further. We got this. You can do this. I'm with you. Just keep in step with me. God, you made a promise to us through your son, Jesus Christ. That when our burdens are heavy, that we can take your yoke. We can can attach ourselves to you and that your, your yoke is easy. Doesn't mean life gets easier. But it means we can do it. It means we can endure it. And God, some of us, we need that kind of strength this morning. So God. We help us to put our faith in you this morning. We help us to follow you, fix our eyes on you, take our eyes off our problem, take our eyes on what has happened to us, take our eyes off trying to figure this thing out, trying to figure out what to say or what we need to do differently. No, God, we just need to fix our eyes on you and keep doing what we've been doing. So help us to just fix our eyes on you and to have faith. And God, would you help us get up this hill? We love you, God. Pray these things in your name. Amen. We're gonna sing a song this morning that's very appropriate to our message that we talked about this morning. And you know what? This is a time. Maybe you just need to listen to these words. Maybe you just need to listen and just take it in. Maybe for you this is just this is your prayer this morning. You don't know how to say it, but maybe this can just be your prayer song this morning. And maybe you just want to sing it and enjoy it. It's up to you. But I, I want you to know more than anything else this morning I love you more than you could possibly know and I'm for you I'm here for it whatever you're going through or whatever you do go through the reason we gather together isn't because this is a temple there is no presence of God here to invite there is nothing magical about me I am no priest I have no better connection to God than you reason we're here together is because in life, we need people along the way. The reason we're here together is because we can't do this on our own. We're connected to one another and we need one another. And I want you to know if Jesus is running up that hill right in front of you, I want you to know I'm right behind you. I am right behind you. So if you slow, if you slow down, I'm going to poke you in the butt and tell you to keep going. All right go tell your grandma that your pastor said that to you today. Okay. But together we are going to get up this hill and you're going to make it. I know you can do it and we're going to do it together.